0: hi i'm joanna baron
1: and i'm leslie gray
0: welcome to the love and dividends podcast where women get smart about money
1: we'll share interviews and conversations about optimizing your finances getting started with investing and building wealth
0: on today's episode, Leslie and I talk about why we're creating a community for women to discuss money, our personal finance journeys, how the Me Too movement, and a lack of female wealth-building role models impacts the way women approach money, and what you can expect from us in the future.
1: We hope you enjoy! Enjoy!
0: thinking about this acutely about I guess two years ago now when the Me Too movement um, reached its sort of zenith. um, It kind of started happening in Canada about a year before with the Gian Gomeshi scandal and we Mm -hmm. were really talking about just sexual harassment and how widespread it was and gender equality and a lot of that was really useful. Um, But I thought after the dust started settling from that about the types of inequality that we were not talking about um, that are equally important like financial equity and I started thinking about the ways in which just as not not even it's not like a legal thing we clearly have formal equality and when I was in law school it was like maybe 55 to 60 percent women totally um and yet when you look at sort of senior ranks of law firm leadership they're predominantly male but more pertinently for this for this podcast There's a massive gender investing gap. So we know about the gender wage gap, and that's a serious issue. Um, But the gender investing gap is even more substantive. 75% of money owned by women, this is from Ellevest, shout out to Sally Krucik, who is an OG, who we will be quoting from extensively, doing such amazing work, debunking myths. Um, But 70% of money owned by women, by us, is not invested. It is kept in cash.
1: Uh, And that's because we sort of think of ourselves perhaps as a bit more risk adverse, or or why do you think that is, Joanna?
0: I don't, I think part of it is that women are slightly more risk-averse, but there are also ways to invest that are quite risk-averse and conservative. Mm -hmm. And in fact, once we do start investing, we get better returns than men because we're more amenable, according to the evidence, to sort of let things go slow and steady with a balanced portfolio, with an index fund, with bonds, less likely to do, like... Um, I think I was telling you about off the pod. I read a story about this Bitcoin bro who took like his life savings, his family's life savings and put it into Bitcoins. And it turned out for him, shockingly, but for every story like that, don't try this at home, ladies. Yeah. Um, there are many people who went into ruin, but all of which is to say, we know I used to be a criminal lawyer, so <laughs> testosterone does lead, higher testosterone does lead men to engage in riskier behavior. Having said all of that, I don't think it's just that we're risk averse. No, I think I don't that either. there is a finance bro culture that is just absolutely has the effect, whether or not it's intentional, probably not, Um, but absolutely has the effect of keeping women away from the table.
1: Yeah, I think it keeps a lot of people feeling left out of the table because some of the lingo used um, and the way we talk about money doesn't feel inclusive. It feels like this thing, I don't understand. Hopefully I find the right advisor who will understand. Um, And I think for women, when we look at our money, Uh, We don't necessarily see it so much as ours, as women tend to be the first people, families asked to help out, the first ones sort of asked for a loan, the first ones who feel like their money has to go towards supporting others rather than themselves, so they don't necessarily get into that high wealth building mode that we'd really like to see, uh, especially young professional women, because we know that the risk really depends more on the time you have. Uh, to grow your wealth than than anything else.
0: Yeah, well, there's so many cultural stereotypes. We don't have any good cultural role models for being a woman who explicitly and unapologetically wants to build wealth. Like think right. about it. No. Like we don't have like a female Elon Musk that I know of. Like you have a few women like Ariana Huffington and Sally Kružik and women CEOs, but there's often in the mainstream media there's like the sexist undercurrent to how they're portrayed. Absolutely. Like either they're per- presented as like masculine, like yep. Hillary Clinton in her yep. pantsuits, or as greedy or as sociopathic. Or like,
1: stealing like yeah. how could she Built this wealth on her own. It must have been stolen, as opposed to or like she was a savvy, smart, and or she had buster. a rich dad or, or rich a rich husband. Yeah. So it's true. We don't have a lot of role models, uh, and we'd like to see that change. So we want a space where women can really talk about it, so they can grow their own wealth. And to be clear, we ourselves are not the role models. <laughs> 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 Completely the opposite, right?
0: Uh, both of us came relatively well. Late in the game, I, I, I don't know what the, what the relation is, but certainly late in the game than I would have liked. If yes. I could do have a do over, I would have started investing like 20 bucks starting in college just to build the trust muscle. Yeah. But literally didn't even start occurring to me until like I was well into having a job yeah. post law school, debt paid off. Oh, uh, you know, like eventually <laughs> I'm not going to work or eventually I'm not going to be able to work. Certainly not the way that I have been um, as a young lawyer. And so really this is a space for us to share what we've learned, share what's worked for us, draw on the expertise of other people who have achieved a lot more and who have expertise that we haven't. And talk about it in a way that, yeah, like literally some of this financial jargon, and I think this is not just for women, this is for everybody. Like when you go back to the 2008 great recession, it was basically built on a lot of, of just in, uh, incomprehensible jargon. Mm -hmm. Like... To look into, I finally do understand what a credit default swap is, which is Took kind of like the type of financial technology that obviously all crash. But honestly, and this is actually an ex-boyfriend of mine used to say this is true of sometimes women don't understand things men are saying because it's just too dumb. Like it's just like we try and analyze it and it's like you <laughs> no, like, no, no, must try
1: be and, saying something yeah, smart. Like, let me he couldn't just be bullshitting me this yeah, whole time. Yeah, that that doesn't yeah, make
0: sense. Like, what does he mean he's thinking? about the basketball game. Like, what does it mean? He's thinking about the time we were at the basketball? No, no, no. He's thinking about the basketball game. So anyway, so credit default swaps are literally two banks being like, I have this crappy loan and you have this crappy loan, so let's just swap the risk. Um, so all of which is to say this type of jargon that you know financiers can dress up to sound very complicated and sophisticated really uh, really is pernicious and really is exclusionary. So anytime that we come across something that's jargony, we will just deconstruct it on the spot.
1: Yeah, we love doing that. And I think what, what women do really well, to your point of us investing well, is we have a good smell test. So we can sort of smell bullshit. Yeah. And when everyone else is sort of running around with the emperor and no clothing saying yeah I see your beautiful robes you look great emperor (laughs) uh, I think women but instead of it causing us to move forward and take really smart risks with our money it it's we've seen the numbers say Mm -hmm. it has the opposite effect that we're keeping it in cash and just kind of saying okay nobody touch it I'll just leave it here and that's not serving anyone because you want your money to work
0: Yes. You want your money to work for you. And one of the best ways of thinking about why you should keep your money, uh, why you should invest at least a, a portion of your money and how much there is, obviously, and by the way, we're, we're not investment advisors. This is no, not investment advisors. Nor are we
1: tax advisors. No. Nor um, are we even legal advisors. No. Even though we have law degrees, we can't ju- give you legal advice. We're just less than Joe. Just <laughs> less than Joe from the block.
0: Um, (laughs) the block is North (laughs) Toronto, but the way, the way that I like to think about it is, uh, if you keep your money in cash, you're not giving it any exercise. You're just keeping it all like sitting on the couch and its muscles are going to atrophy and its value is going to diminish, um, faced with inflation, which is an inevitable process. However, if you use your money to buy stocks, which of course Entails some inevitable risk, and we don't uh, we don't suggest that you put all your money on one particular company. You're kind of exercising it. You're working out your money. You're yeah. using it in the market, and so it will grow concomitantly with the market. So right. you, you've got get you've got to get in the market
1: and as as we know we wouldn't tell you to on the couch okay I'm gonna get moving I'm just gonna sit here and lift a few weights work my biceps We as savvy workout ladies like I'm going to a class I need to work out every muscle I only have 35 minutes to do it we're efficient ladies yeah. we want to go to like a hit class like a high intensity and that's sort of how I see we'll get into this later but an ETF. Where you're working every muscle, you're buying sort of the whole stock market, you're not focusing on just one muscle that you're going to end up wearing out, and then you're stuck on the couch anyway. You're getting sort of that overall body workout, so that whatever muscle you need down the road, you're ready, you have it. You have sort of the full spectrum, not just one muscle to invest in. We really want a full body approach.
0: But the very worst thing that you can do is just to stay out of the game (laughs) completely. The worst. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I lose all the muscles. Yeah, and the most common reasons why you would do that, i.e. to drop away from this metaphor, which I actually think works, love um, metaphor. is because you feel like you don't have the knowledge, you feel like you don't have enough money to start investing, and really, if you can start with $50 a month, that's great. That's so much better um, than doing nothing, and many of the robo-advisors and index funds that you can buy into, whether in the you're in the US or Canada, on a low-fee basis, don't have have any minimums, right? So just start, just start You're to loves- like build up that trust muscle, and you'll yes. be amazed at where it will go. Yes, so should and- we pivot to our, our personal finance journeys just to get a little background about ourselves? Sure, sure. Go ahead, Joe, start us off. Okay, so I was born and raised in Toronto, uh, which is still where I live. Um, lovely middle class family, upper middle class family, and uh, I was encouraged to excel in my schooling. I was always a very good student, very bookish. I went to law school, but my parents never talked to me about money or about preparing for retirement or investing. And I don't think in the case of certainly my dad, it was because of a lack of knowledge. Because I know, for example, a couple of years ago, my dad did extremely well with some cannabis stocks. And luckily he sold them off before the whole market went kind of belly-up and devalued after legalization in Canada, and it's kind of like, okay, if you were you were involved in these things, why didn't you bring me in on it? And sort of the message that I got was, you know, work hard, get a good job, pay your bills, pay your mortgage... Um, and basically don't worry about it. So I had to do all of the heavy lifting myself in terms of giving myself a financial education, which is totally fine. Part of becoming an adult is seeing the things that were wonderful and also lacking in your childhood. <laughs> and I also think a lot of the modeling you get about money is like a reflection of your parents' view no you about question. money. And looking back, my parents had me when they were like in their early 20s. Totally. Yeah, they had three kids before age 25. Like yeah. they had no idea yeah. what they they bought a doing,
1: house in a very different market than what we yeah, live in now. Yeah. bought a
0: little house, had their kids, <laughs> you know, so completely different. So God bless them. I had a great upbringing, but there were a lot of things that I had to sort of reparent about myself, right. which I started doing a few years ago and started with, you know, the classics, personal finance books, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which mm. I love. Maybe we'll have like a book club yes, episode we where we can to. talk about our favorite. Well, we're our, two
1: book nerds, so that'll be a good one. Yeah,
0: Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins has a book called Unshakable that's just about. Yeah, he's my bae. Like, his voice is just <laughs> insane. But. Uh, But he really persuaded me when he talked about just trusting in the market and the historical gains of the stock index. And he had one great quote, which is that the market never took a penny from anybody. The only time the market lost anybody money was actually their own fear because they freaked out and said, oh, my stocks are down, so I I better sell it. So I was persuaded by that. So I started investing a few years ago. And I started pretty small, a couple hundred dollars a month. Um, I really think starting to invest and starting to restructure your finances should be a hike and not a sprint. If you start off the bat, you know, chopping off. 20% 30% of whatever your take home pay is you may feel deprived and so you have to kind of build it up over time and get used to it but then there's this other type of satisfaction that comes Mm -hmm. from seeing that you're actually building it's like fun to be on a hike yeah you're building your net worth as opposed to just like okay that month went by and I don't know where any of my money went like I just I just have no idea like bills came I paid them I bought this I bought that but like I'm kind of just going in circles
1: yeah I agree with that completely. So, similar to Joanna, I had a great childhood here in Toronto. Um, grew up in a wonderful neighborhood, wonderful home. Great values around money from two working parents. My mother also worked full-time of not spending too much, but still enjoying life. I mean, I had anything I you know would sort of need, and I took a very safe path. Going to school, I worked, um, went to law school paid my way through and then sort of came out and it was really sort of two things that happened. One, when I graduated law school, I was ready to get my finances under control and when I'd meet with financial advisors, I was quite disappointed. Um, Either I felt there was a lot of shaming. So... You know, I'd meet with one at a Starbucks and they'd be like, you know, if you cut this latte every day, you'd be saving quite a bit. And I was like, I feel so betrayed. Why would you ask me to meet at Starbucks? Why are you shaming me for this drink? Yeah. And like, I don't think Starbucks is the issue here. Like, I have a, a huge student loan. I have a full-time, very demanding job. Like, I don't think the problem whether I spend half an hour at home. I work on billable hours or I did at the time. I don't think it's whether I spend the time at home making coffee is is the game changer. So I was really unimpressed with that advice. Um, Really unimpressed with, uh, you know, didn't quite understand investing. It all felt too complicated. And just remember being with a bunch of other uh, women in my scenario, um, and all of whom were like, yeah, I don't really know how much goes in or out. I sort of am living paycheck to paycheck, even though we had great paychecks. Yeah, I'm spending each month. I have no idea. And we were watching one of those... Learning Channel shows about someone in tremendous debt and they were put on an all-cash diet and all of us It's a very privileged place to be in but all of us were like I don't actually know what what that would look like I don't even know the numbers for that. I put some away I put some towards my loans and I don't look at it and for me That was a big red flag and it just forced me Finally to have a look at what am I spending each month? Where would substantial cuts actually help Um What could I maybe have money to spend more on? How do I start paying down this debt? And the book I loved was Millionaire Teacher with Andrew Hallam. That was my first look that changed everything. And he sort of opens on our same premise, which is, I bet your family, he's a Canadian author, I bet your family didn't talk a lot about money. It's really a taboo, I think especially in Canada. Because we're sort of seen as a modest people. We're not necessarily like like Americans get rich. Yeah. Yeah, We're sort of like, we just have our humble roots and we work hard and that's that. Um, but for me, it was like, but what does that look like? And when people were like, save $20 a month, I was like, but then what does that do? Wouldn't deflation bring it down? How do I, you know, it didn't have those pieces. And he did a great job doing that and then just sort of changed all my finances, really took a hard look at what I was spending on every month and where, and we're going to talk about this a lot, but where did I get a lot of value and joy in spending money? And what were things I was doing? Because, well, that's just what you do and you've always done it. Yeah. And not even questioning, well, why? Why am I paying? Whether it's fees to something you don't need, whether it's you know a lifestyle that doesn't really work for you. And I think a lot of millennials feel this way where our values might be more centered around travel or trips or... You'll talk about experiences over experiences. things. Experiences, yeah. And you know what? Things are good, too. And things are good, <laughs> too. If you're into
0: too. things, get your things. I Buy guess. your latte. Get your purse. Yeah. Whatever makes you happy. We are not about, like, we're not these no. grannies, although we will talk about grannies yeah, and why you one should day. save to pay yourself as a granny, um, but we are about... Spending money should be an act of pleasure yes. and self-love, and yes. it's something that you should do with your eyes open and never feel ashamed of. Right. If you want to get a fancy latte with maca and cacao, go mm-hmm. for it. It yeah. will not. It will not cut into your retirement unless you're like doing it four
1: times. Right. But nothing. And then on the reverse side, nothing's worse than the spending you're doing without even knowing it. So Mm -hmm. if you're doing it because you're like, well, I don't even like this, but it's just sort of what I do. That's the kind of stuff you can start to sort of wrap up and, and have a look at. So for me, it was all about just getting a basic budget and not to limit my spending, but really just to track what I was spending. So I had a real hold of of what was coming in every month and what was going out.
0: And so what was like the most eye-opening for you? So first of all, how do you track your spending? Because I have a very specific system. The every dollar app, shout out to Dave Ramsey, who does yell at people on his show. <laughs> but people love it. There are people who call him and are like drowning in debt and he just yells at them and We are not Dave Ramsey, but very useful budgeting tool. And that was like a game changer for for me. It even gives you like a pie chart that shows exactly which categories you're the heaviest in. There's lifestyle and debt and housing and food and things like that. And for me, that was when the penny dropped when I was like, oh, I see now I I am spending $600 a month Mm -hmm. on personal care between like... Highlights, waxing, yes. nails, like that is ridiculous. However, is it? in my case, it actually, I can justify it because... I live in a small condo and I don't have a car and I rely on walking in TTC. So those are like, if you can get a control of your transport and housing costs, yeah. um, which is highly recommended, of course, not everybody can, not everybody lives in, a, in an area that's accessible to transit, sure. but that has been a huge game changer for me to just cut out because prior to... When I was a criminal lawyer, I had to have a car, obviously, because I had to drive out to like Milton and Brampton. These are terrible places if you're not <gasps> from the Greater Toronto. Oh no! Sorry, I know, no, so no I'm <laughs> no, Brampton, no, we, Milton. We, I, I folk. love, I love Brampton. Oh, sorry, all of which see, the traffic, oh. the traffic to go to those places can be terrible. So I had a car. It's
1: terrible it's to drive to them. I will terrible. agree with that. It's no, Brampton Toronto is has lovely. become the worst. Um, in North America for transit. We beat L.A. Congrats, Toronto. We have the worst traffic time. We
0: did it. So... (laughs) <laughs> so, all of which is to say so because I had a car and I was insured for the first time, and I lived in a condo building in downtown T- Toronto. It ended up costing me like literally almost eight hundred dollars a month between right. two hundred and fifty for parking, whatever for insurance, Oof. car lease payments, gas, parking. Like it was insane. So yeah. that was like the best kind thing I did for myself that. just to like get rid of that car.
1: Yeah. So I think spending there's sort of like three major buckets, which is like where you're living, so your resident expenses, where the that's a mortgage or rent etc there's your what eating drinking so your consumption day to day and then there's your transportation so I took that approach I'm a little bit more DIY and we'll also get into that down the road so I like to have my hands like right in the clay like I do better when I can get in there so I I'm still using the same Excel spreadsheet I created two years ago. It's evolved over time. And I might share, you know, a a hacked down copy of it at some point for Mm -hmm. our listeners. Uh, Because for me, it really helped to go through line by line. It was very overwhelming at first, credit cards. It helped to, like, use the term, minimalize some things, get rid of a bunch so I could see it all in one place. For me, it was about visually... But similar to using an app, looking at where is everything, where is it going, and what are things where I'm like, wait, this is ridiculous. And with a few quick hacks, I could cut this. I could spend way less on whether it's transportation, or my living costs, or my day-to-day consumption, because I actually don't really enjoy that. And then for me, the fun part was then like getting room for it first, whether it was just so I can pay off my debt quicker, which felt really good. Um, whether it was starting to enjoy saving, which we'll talk about more, which started to feel really good, or whether it was to say I have a little bit left for me and I'm going to do something really nice. I started spending more on self-care and things like that that felt really good.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so I I think just in general having my head above water when it comes to because there is this weird instinct to kind of stick your head in the sand when it comes to finances like it's just like uh, I don't even want to look at that Mm -hmm. like I remember when I was in law school and I would like try and think about my debt payments Um, but it feels so good to just. Just start you know the best time to start is yesterday the second best time to start That's is right. today That's and right. it really has just ricocheted into my life in a way that I never expected I wouldn't expect it to be personally transformative to like get a handle of my spending but it really has just on a baseline given me such a sense of security that uh, I know that I'm on track for retirement You know, whatever my circumstances are, I know that if, uh, God forbid, if I'm out of a job for a few months that I've got an emergency fund. And so you really are, you become kind of unshakable. Like you're just like, if you're in a job that's really not serving you, which luckily I'm not. But if I was in a job where I was being treated poorly, I could just walk away. If I was in a relationship where I was being treated poorly, like Elizabeth Warren has her line about how you need to have your walking out the door money. Yeah. Which I, I think is hilarious. <laughs> kind of old school. But yeah, like there's there's no way. And it, yeah. it sounds almost glid so to bring it up. But like women for most of history. We didn't have that. We're in that position where it was like, you I know, need, I've got. I need I'm like, this for
1: security. I'm barefoot and pregnant. So with, <laughs> with security comes also freedom. And that's how it felt to me. It was suddenly like I actually felt way freer that when I was doing a big spend, I was like, yes, I have the money for this. I can do this trip or this thing I want. Mm -hmm. Or it made me way more excited when I pared down. So when I first looked at it and was like, wait, I want to start, I want to get this debt under control. I really want to start saving and investing. It actually felt really good to spend way less for a while Mm -hmm. because I knew where it was going. I was excited about every dollar I was quote spending to either pay off my debt or to pay my future self. So I think changing that mindset when you suddenly go, this money's mine and I have earned it and I can now use it to enrich my life feels so much better than, I think I'm doing it right, I'm making money, I'm not in too much debt, so am I okay? I I don't even... I don't really know and I actually don't even want to look at it cuz I'm so nervous I've been doing it all yeah. wrong. Yeah, and then you're just so like look at it. fully a, vac- a victim of the capitalist system. And, but, and so, so many like, are, you know, and so many in our and, profession and others. Yeah, and
0: to some extent you can take back control. You can't take back 100% control. We do live in a capitalist system, but like you can have some dignity about and it. And another
1: great author, C.L. Collins, like either you master money or money is your master. So yeah. we want to help sort of everyone be able to start to master whatever money is for them, whatever wealth means for them.